Well, thank you, Doug. Hey, City Light. I just want to start off today by saying happy Mother's Day. I'm going to say it. Moms, you are awesome. I know that when you become a mom, you become so much more. You become a teacher, a storyteller, a doctor, a chauffeur, a cook, a coach, a janitor, a day planner, a disciple maker, a friend, and the list goes on and on and on. There are so few roles in this life that demand as much from someone as the role of mom. So moms, for all you do, for all you sacrifice, let me say on behalf of the City Light family, thank you. Kiddos, if you're in the room with your mom, run over and give her a big hug, give her a big squeeze. Adults, if you can, send your mom a text or put a reminder in your phone to call her later and let her know how much you love her. And if you can't do any of those things, take a moment and just let your heart enjoy the best memories of your time with your mom. Oh, let's not miss this day to celebrate the moms in our lives. Okay, we're going to turn our attention to God's word. And as we do that, I just want to ask you a question to get started. Have you ever gotten something that was far more valuable than you expected? Have you ever just stumbled into unexpected value? Well, I remember when my bride graduated from college, her brother, Eric, graduated from high school in the same weekend. So her parents threw a joint graduation reception for both of them in their hometown, and all of their extended family came to celebrate. Now, most of the party was geared toward Eric because he'd graduated from high school, but there were some gifts on the table for Sarah, too. And when it came time to open them, the first one she opened was from her cousin, Shelly. Now, Shelly had put a lot of thought and effort into choosing a thoughtful gift, just the right one. She knew Sarah loved to drink tea, so she found this oversized ceramic mug, and it came with a matching ceramic strainer and lid so that the tea could steep nicely inside. It was hand-painted with a Bible verse written in calligraphy on the outside. It was a thoughtful beautiful, kind gift. And I know gift giving isn't a competition, but if it was, Shelly took the early lead, okay? That didn't last for long because shortly after Sarah opened Shelly's gift, she found a gift from Shelly's brother, Todd, another cousin of hers. And this gift came in a long, narrow, shallow box. You just knew it couldn't hold much. And so Sarah took off the wrapping paper and inside was a little ribbon around the box and she untied that. And when she opened the box, her eyes got big. She was super surprised at what was inside this small box. You know what it was? Pearls, real ones and lots of them. In that little box was a pearl necklace and matching pearl earrings. Who gets pearls for a graduation gift, right? I don't know about you. I got like lots of phone cards and towels. That's it. And that's what Sarah expected. She expected to go drink some punch, eat some cake, and maybe get enough cash for a good date night. But she walked away with pearls. Now, Shelly, the mug she got was nice. It was Sarah's favorite mug for a long time. But when Shelly saw the pearls, she knew she'd been beat. All right, the pearls were unexpected 
extravagant and valuable. We're going to look at a couple parables that tell us that the kingdom of heaven is that kind of treasure. We've spent the last few weeks in Matthew chapter 13 looking at Jesus' parables. They're stories that he told to both highlight and hide the kingdom of God, and the parables before us now are no exception. I think they highlight for us at least three things about the kingdom. Kingdom treasure, kingdom value, and kingdom joy. Kingdom treasure, kingdom value, and kingdom joy. Now, these parables are short, and so here's the plan. We're going to look at each highlight, and then we'll see how that played out in the life of someone in the Bible. All right, that's what we're doing. That's where we're going. So let's jump in. We'll start with kingdom treasure. Let me read to you again Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 13. Here's the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I think about a treasure chest, like the kind of things that a pirate searches for. I think of a wooden box with a round lid and a metal clasp and a big lock, right? I, I, I think about a, pi a pirate's treasure chest like that buried in a field that a guy finds there. But what if that's not exactly the picture here? What if instead the treasure buried in the field isn't confined to a small wooden box? What if instead the treasure is more like a gold mine with veins that run in every direction? Now that kind of treasure store is massive. That kind of treasure can't be picked up and carried away. It can't be stolen because it's part of the land. Finding that kind of treasure doesn't make you want to like pick it up and take the treasure away to your home. That kind of treasure makes you want to find your home on that land where the treasure is. It makes you want to sell out to have the treasure in its field. Jesus said, that when the man found the treasure, he didn't dig it up to take it home. No, instead he sold away everything he had to make the treasure field his home. Okay, there's a man in the Bible named Moses. And I think his life is a real world example of this parable. He was born to an Israelite slave woman. But then shortly after that, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, adopted by the king of Egypt's daughter. And that meant that he grew up among the Egyptian wealthy royalty. And so he sort of has this identity tension going on. Who is Moses going to be? Will he embrace his Egyptian side that honors Pharaoh and comes with all sorts of power and esteem and wealth? Or will he embrace his Israelite side that honors God and at that time came only with poverty and oppression. Who's Moses going to be? Well, here's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses looked at all the treasure of the wealthiest kingdom in the world at the time, and he compared it to life as a slave with the people of God. And which path did he choose? He chose God's people. Why? Why would someone give up everything the world has to offer like that? Well, the Bible tells us that Moses did it because he was looking to the reward. He knew what the greater treasure was. And it wasn't obvious like the gold coins in Pharaoh's coffers or the power in Pharaoh's chariots and armies. The greatest treasure Moses beheld was hidden. Let me make, let me try to make for you a distinction. The kingdom of heaven doesn't promise you more treasure. This parable was never intended to guarantee financial prosperity for Christians. The point of this parable is not following Jesus will get me more treasure. That's not it. The point is following Jesus is the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is the treasure. Knowing Jesus as your king is the treasure. Why? Friends, because money cannot buy peace for your soul, forgiveness for your sin, joy in your spirit, or eternal life with your Savior. Money cannot buy things that last and satisfy. Oh, but King Jesus can give all of those things. His treasure, when you find him to be your treasure, it's like a gold mine of the soul-satisfying grace that we all long for. Its veins run throughout all of the deepest parts of the human soul. That treasure is what made the man in the parable sell out to buy the field. It's what made Moses trade in all the treasures of Egypt to get the reward of God's people and friends. It's the treasure that Jesus wants you to find too. And so we're gonna do a little self-reflection today. We'll come back to this a couple more times, okay? So let me ask you first, what do you treasure? We want to get really objective. Get as objective as you can here, okay? So let me give you a couple ways to do that. If you looked at your calendar or your schedule, what would it say that you treasure? If you look at your bank account, what would it say that you treasure? If you look at the screen time report on your phone, what would it say that you treasure? Let's get objective here. Little self-reflection. There's no need to like feel guilty. We're just trying to get some facts, all right? What do you treasure? Hold on to those thoughts because we're gonna come back to them in a moment. So in the kingdom of heaven, we see that following Jesus doesn't get us more treasure. Following Jesus is the treasure. But we've still got more to highlight, all right? There are all kinds of treasure in the world the challenge is knowing what each treasure is worth. Like the other day, a friend asked me, 
Would you get in the ring with Conor McGregor if it meant that you never had to make another mortgage payment on your house, ever? If you don't know who Conor McGregor is, he's like an elite ultimate fighting and mixed martial arts fighter. And so what my friend is essentially asking is, would you take a vicious beating to never, uh, for a six-figure prize, to never have to pay on your mortgage ever again? That's a value question. What treasure do you value more, a mortgage-free house or your physical health? I'll be honest with you, the answer was easy for me, okay? I'm gonna keep paying my mortgage. I don't know if I ever wake up after a beating at the hands of a guy like Conor McGregor. I value my life, okay? So there's all kinds of treasure in the world. The question is, how do we value them? What is the value? Well, our parables today don't just tell us that Jesus is the kingdom treasure. They show us the treasure's value. Here's what Jesus said. Let me read for you again the parable of the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one of a pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's unpack that for a minute. This guy isn't, uh, the guy in this parable, he isn't a diver. He's not the guy that does the grunt work of getting wet and dirty, digging for clams to find pearls. That's, uh, as I remembered this parable, that's what I always thought was going on. He's also not casually strolling along the beach looking for shells and shark teeth and pearls. This isn't a relaxing vacation activity. That's what my wife thought he was doing when she thought back on this parable. No, this man isn't either of those. The guy in this parable is a merchant. He's a trader, a businessman. That means that he isn't simply searching his waters in his corner of the world to find the, the most valuable pearls that they hold. He's a merchant journeying far and wide to the ends of the earth to find the greatest pearls, the finest pearls on earth. His line of work means he knows value when he sees it. Think of like an antique dealer or a stock market trader or a Craigslist hawk. They're always assessing value. They want to buy low and sell high. They're looking for margin and profit. It reminds me of my college roommate. He spent hours online when we were in college looking at guitar amps on Craigslist. Now, he was a musician, a guitar player, but he wasn't looking for amps for himself. His motivation was profit. He was looking for deals. He wanted to find cheap amps of high value that he could resell and make money. And he was great at it. What impressed me most about him and that endeavor was how he knew what someone would pay for an amp long before he ever bought it. He's had his finger on the pulse of the market. He knew value when he saw it and he jumped at a good deal whenever it arose. The merchant in this parable is that kind of person. As a trader, he's always searching for value. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is a merchant like that, searching for fine pearls and he finds one of great value. Track with me. This is a once in a lifetime find. 
He's never found anything like this pearl before, and he must not ever expect to find anything better ever again. How do we know that? Because he sold all that he had to buy that pearl. He sold out. No more inventory, no more trading, no more journeys, no more searching. This is the last and greatest treasure he would ever want or need or find. And friends, that's what finding Jesus is like. Let me show it to you in the life of a man named Paul. Here's how Paul described what it was like to give up everything to get Jesus. This comes from Philippians chapter 3. Paul wrote, But whatever gain I had, whatever accomplishments or accolades, whatever uh, things I had acquired, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. See, Paul found Jesus and sold out on everything else. Everything he had gained, he counted as a loss. Every good grade, every paycheck, every accolade, every vacation, every promotion, every high score, every quarantine, home renovation, every gain he ever had felt like a loss compared to knowing Jesus. We we have to wonder what made knowing Jesus so valuable to Paul. Well, he told us. Paul said knowing Jesus was so valuable because he knew Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Friends, resurrection power is a pearl that you don't find every day. Paul says it has surpassing worth. It passes everything else, anything that might rise to compete with resurrection power. Resurrection power just keeps passing it up. It keeps surpassing every challenge. There's nothing else like it. Paul's saying, friends, there's only one thing you can take with you when you die, and it is Jesus Christ. He's the only thing that lasts forever. Every other gain will be lost one day. Every other valuable will be worthless one day. Every other treasure will fade one day. Paul sold out for Jesus because Jesus has resurrection power, new life power, life after death power, life beyond the grave power that never fades. It just surpasses the value of any and every other treasure you will ever find. It's a city light. I want to give you some good news. That kingdom treasure has just as much value today. Letting go of everything else to get life with Jesus is still worth it today. And so let's do a little more self-reflection, all right? Here's the next question. What have you given up to follow Jesus? Or maybe what could you give up to treasure Jesus more? What have you counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ? There are 
all kinds of ways that this is happening in our church. You guys kill it at this kind of thing. So let me just give you um, some quick examples, all right? Jordan Bear, who coordinates women's discipleship at our church, she realized that the fast pace of her schedule, the fast pace of her life was a barrier for her to treasure Jesus. And so she found some resources, some books and some uh, other women around her to guide her. And she's been pursuing an unhurried life, a life where her schedule doesn't dominate her so that she has more space to listen and respond to what Jesus is doing in and around her. Incredible, right? She gave up some of those things that were on her schedule so that she could treasure Jesus more, an unhurried life. Amazing. Another example, there's a family in our church who got their stimulus check And as they looked at their budget, they said, you know what? We can do without all of this. We don't need this. And so show us a family in need and we want to give a portion of this away. We want to help somebody else. Those are real dollars that they could have spent on a house upgrade or a car or something for their kids, something for themselves. But they said, no, we want to use those real dollars for the good of someone else, for the glory of God. Incredible. One more, there are dads, husbands, men in our church who've looked at the screen time report on their phone and said, you know what? This doesn't honor Jesus the way that I should. it, It doesn't show that I value Jesus more than other things in my life. And so they've deleted games off of their devices and put on accountability software like Covenant Eyes so that their screen time honors both Jesus and their families. They've given up something on their phone to honor Jesus. The opportunities are endless. Friends, think back to your schedule, your bank account, your screen time report, and just see if you can identify anything in your life that might be competing with the surpassing value of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Like the merchant who sold everything to get the pearl of great value, Or Paul, who suffered the loss of all things to gain Christ. What can you give up to treasure Jesus more? Okay, so we've looked at kingdom treasure. It's Jesus and it's kingdom value. It's surpassing value. And it just leaves me with a couple last questions. Maybe you're thinking the same thing. Here are my questions. Uh, uh, Why would Jesus want me to sell out to get him? Like, do I have to sell everything, give up everything to get the treasure in the field? Or can I keep my stuff and just visit the field? Can I keep my stuff and see the pearl in a museum? Can I have my cake and eat it too? Do I have to sell out? Let's jump back to the man in the field and look at Jesus' words one more time and see if we can find an answer. Here's the parable of the hidden treasure one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Did you catch what happened after he found the treasure? In his joy, he sold all that he had to buy the field. In his joy. Friends, for this man trading in everything 
everything to get Jesus wasn't cold or calculated. It wasn't coerced or manipulated. It wasn't hesitant or heartbreaking. It was an act filled with joy. It reminds me of a passage in Hebrews that tells us about life for Christians in the days of the early church. Let me try to take you back there and set the context. In those days, Christianity was brand new and in a lot of places illegal. So if someone told the authorities that you were a Christian, you could be thrown in prison. And in those days, prisons were a bad place to be. Oftentimes, prisoners weren't even fed. And so friends or family members would have to visit. They'd have to check in on their loved ones in prison and bring them food to make sure that they were fed. Okay, so with that in mind, now imagine with me that you are part of a brand new small church family in those days. And one of your Christian friends gets thrown in prison for her faith. Now your, church, your new church decides we got to meet up and figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to respond, what next steps to take. And so you gather quietly in the dark of night in the back room of a house to have the conversation. And as you enter in, there's kind of an air of nervousness hanging in the room as people begin to discuss what to do. First, someone says, and if, if we visit a Christian in prison, everyone is going to know that we're Christians too. That will not go well for us. And people yeah, that's a good point. So they talk and they pray some more. And as the conversation goes, somebody else chimes in. They remember what Jesus said. He said, man, if we visit his people in prison, it's like we're visiting him there too. He's in it with us. He wants us to do that. And say, yeah, we do remember that Jesus said that. And so they continue to talk and pray and they come to a decision. Here's what the Bible says they did. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What did that new little church body do? They decided to have compassion. They visited their friend in prison. And when they got home from that visit, what they feared would happen had, in fact, happened. They'd been outed as Christians and someone had plundered their property. It was looted and destroyed. They came home and their home was gone. No more kitchen table to gather around for family dinners. No more closets to store your treasures and valuables in. No more bed to land on after a long day. Following Jesus cost them everything except the clothes on their backs. And so their friend is sitting in prison. And they are sitting outside the ruins of what was once their house. And their hearts welled up with joy. Can you imagine? That's uncommon joy, is it not? That's strange joy. The Bible says they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because. The Bible tells us why. Why did that happen? They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they knew they had a better possession, an abundance 
abiding one, a lasting one. They knew that their house, their property was a temporary possession. Fire could take it down. Foreclosure could take it away. When they died, it would be left as an inheritance to someone else. Their house, no matter which way you slice it, was a temporary treasure. And because they knew that, losing their temporary treasure didn't wreck their joy. They knew that they had a better, forever lasting treasure. Plundering their property didn't plunder their joy because their greatest treasure was kingdom treasure. Their greatest treasure was Jesus Christ. And so I imagine when they came home, they were thinking something like, we may not have a house to come home to anymore, but that won't stop Jesus from coming to take us home. Amen? That's kingdom joy. And so friends, I wanna close with a final reflection question, okay? Here's where we've been. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is the treasure with surpassing value that kindles uncommon joy. Here's the question. When do you feel kingdom joy the most? When does that kindle in your heart the, the, the hottest, the brightest? Maybe it's in the morning before the day starts and the stress of the world lands on you. Maybe it's in the evening when you can look back on the day and see all the ways that God was with you, working in and around you. Maybe it's when you're with certain people, your family, your friends, your city group, or in a certain place out in nature or in your quiet prayer room. Maybe it's when you're reading scripture or listening to worship music. Maybe it's something totally different. I don't know. But friends, can I encourage you? Spend some time later today or later this week enjoying Jesus. In his joy, the man sold everything to follow Jesus. See, his friendship with Jesus wasn't boring or stale or empty ritual. It was costly, but it was also the source of his greatest joy. And I want to pray with you now that maybe for the first time or maybe for the four millionth time, you experience the joy of Jesus' kingdom today. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is the treasure with surpassing value that kindles uncommon joy. Will you pray with me? Oh, King Jesus, I thank you for these two short stories. Stories of people finding you to be the greatest, the, the greatest and the last treasure they would ever want or need. A treasure worth selling out trading in everything else, counting everything else as a loss to have it. Oh, Jesus, today would you work that in us? Would you uncover that treasure, expose that treasure, open our eyes to see the treasure of Jesus today? Oh, God, I know that there are people in our family, in our church, in our community that have known you for a long, long time. And sometimes just the joy of being in relationship with Jesus, the treasure of heaven's kingdom, we can, we, we can become a little bit dull to the joy. And so God, I pray today, would you light that on fire again? Would you kindle in us that joy again? 
Oh, return us to all the days. Uh, recall to memory all the times that you have loved us, encouraged us, spoken to us, been there for us, shown us your plan for our lives. God, give us joy in you again. And maybe there are people watching today uh, that have never experienced that kind of joy in Jesus. You just looked in on the church. You've looked in on God's people and said, it, it looks like rules, regulations, guilt, shame, empty ritual. Can I tell you today, that is not at all what Jesus himself wanted you to see. He wanted you to find a treasure in him that would give you an unmatched, un, uncommon, unparalleled joy in him. So if you've never known that, let me invite you today, would you turn to Jesus? Would you just give up all the other things in life, all the other pursuits in life where you think you can find joy? Maybe the places where uh, you've invested to find joy? Would you just turn to Jesus? Say, if your joy can surpass all that, show me. I want you. I know he'll do it for you. He's done it for me. Oh, City Light, let's celebrate today the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus Christ, for all of his value, for all the joy he gives, for all of the joy he will give forever. We love you, King Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.